This morning's Bible reading is from Matthew 15, verses 1 to 20. Uh, You'll find it on the overhead screens and in your leaflets. As we continue with Matthew, Matthew 15, 1 to 20. Then some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. Jesus replied, And why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, honour your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is devoted to God, they are not to honour their father or mother with it. Thus you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition, you hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honour me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen and understand. What goes into someone's mouth does not defile them, but what comes out of their mouth, that is what defiles them. Then the disciples came to him and asked, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this? He replied, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be pulled up by the roots. Leave them. They are blind guides. If the blind lead the blind, both will fall into the pit. Peter said, Explain the parable to us. Are you so dull? Jesus asked them. Don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? But things that come out of the person's mouth come from the heart, and these defile them. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what defile a person, but eating with unwashed hands does not defile them. Good morning, everyone. Um, you've got a, a, in your handout here a bit of an outline of where we're going uh, with this message and uh, thank you Gary for reading that for us so well. Let's uh, pray first and still our hearts before the Lord as we come to his word. Heavenly Father we thank you again for your word. It is precious, it is good, it is truth. It helps us to see life clearly and it helps us to see you clearly. Thank you for sending Jesus into the world to be our saviour and that through him we can have a relationship with you that is um, full of life and helps us enormously in our lives, in our day-to-day lives. So still our hearts and minds, Lord, help us to concentrate and, and think on your word as we hear it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, you remember the, the musical. It's a famous musical, Fiddler on the Roof. Uh, the, the, the musical was last shown in, in, uh, in Australia in 2016 and the opening song is called Tradition and the words go like this. A fiddler on the roof sounds crazy, no? But here in our little village of Anatevka, you might say every one of us is a fiddler on the roof trying to scratch out a pleasant, simple tune without breaking his neck. It isn't easy. You may ask, why do we stay up there if it's so dangerous? Well, we stay because Anatevka is our home. And how do we keep our balance? That I can tell you in one word. Tradition, 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 tradition. 
Because of our traditions, we've kept our balance for many, many years. Here in Anatevka, we have traditions for everything. How to sleep, how to eat, how to work, how to wear clothes. For instance, we always keep our heads covered and always wear a little prayer shawl. This shows our constant devotion to God. You may ask, how did this tradition get started? I'll tell you, I don't know. But it's a tradition. And because of our traditions, every one of us knows who he is and what God expects him to do. So far, the little song tradition from the musical Fiddle on the Roof. Now, tradition can be wonderful, can't it? It gives meaning to community. I love family traditions, holiday traditions. I belong to a religious tradition, not just a Christian tradition, but a reformed evangelical tradition. And we do need to be careful, don't we, not to be too dismissive, as our current culture wants to be, of all tradition. Because some traditions are really, really good and can be very helpful. Traditions help us to know what to expect. For example, a worship service like this one is full of traditions, the liturgy, the length, how we respond, even where we sit. And there are good traditions also around special events like weddings and funerals. They help us celebrate. They help us grieve. And we have family. We have traditions in the home, don't we? Family traditions from where we sit around the dinner table or what side of the bed you sleep in uh, or the way you celebrate birthdays. And so traditions can be good and they give us a sense of belonging and connection and they're respectful of those who went before and they connect us with the past and so on. But traditions can also be very, very harmful, can't they? They can be used abusively, dividing and damaging community. Tradition is a wonderful servant, but it's a terrible and harsh master. And some of the most hurtful things that we do in life come from an unthinking allegiance to tradition. There's no doubt that in the Gospels, it's the religious leaders the enemies of Jesus, who are big fans of their traditions, while Jesus himself is not. And here in this passage, he clashes with them over their traditions, doesn't he? And this was on their mind, these religious leaders, as they travelled the 150 kilometres, and that's a long way to travel, 150 kilometres all the way from Jerusalem to Galilee. Look at verses 1 and 2. Then some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. Now, that to us sounds a bit ridiculous, doesn't it? They come 150 kilometres, not to find out who Jesus is or what he teaches about the kingdom of God. They come 150 kilometres to ask Jesus why his disciples don't wash their hands before they eat. Why make such a big deal about hand washing? Because the issue actually for them is not about cleanliness, it's not about germs, it's about ritual purity, ceremonial washing that made you clean before God. Now, in the Old Testament in Leviticus, Moses instructed the priests to wash before entering the tabernacle, the holy place. And it was an important part of the liturgy, emphasising God's holiness. For the priests to approach God... They had to be ritually clean. But there was no such law requiring Jews, all Jews, to wash ceremonially before every meal. But over time, the religious leaders insisted that everyone wash their hands ceremonially before eating bread, even though God had never commanded it. 
And notice Jesus' response to this. It's, it's pretty strong, isn't it? He might have said something a little less forcefully. He said, well, you know, the old te- that was only for the Old Testament priests. That's not for us. And let, let's think about some of the more important things rather than the little things. But no, no, Jesus sees this as a really big deal. Why? Why such a strong response? Well, because... i to get my iPad going again. <laughs> Sorry about that. Technology is wonderful, isn't it, when it works right? Why such a strong response? Well, because Jesus is building a bridge to God while the religious leaders are destroying it. Religious traditions can actually lead people away from God, can't they? The Pharisees put enormous pressure on people by teaching and enforcing their traditions as a way to be accepted by God. Large segments of the Jewish community were totally disconnected from God because they were trying so hard to follow all the traditions which actually just stifled their spiritual life. Why is that? Because traditions can make us lazy. And we stop thinking critically and biblically. And we just do what we know and we do what we're told. And when we do it, it gives us a false sense of confidence and security. And those of you who've grown up in families with really, really strong religious traditions would have struggled, I dare say, to grow in your faith and struggled with your relationship, a personal relationship with God. Your parents told you what to do, how to think, and you just did what you were told. And it actually breeds an immature faith, doesn't it? It stunts your relationship with God. It also can tie people up in knots. So you're always thinking, have I done enough to, get, to be in God's good books? And it's a sort of roller coaster. One day I think, oh, yeah, I've done enough, and, and you're filled with pride. The next day you don't think so, and you're filled with despair. It's a fatal way of running your Christian life. But Jesus, in contrast, calls us into a relationship with God. And his death on a cross builds a bridge to God, so that simply by grace... Through faith, not by works, you are fully right with God. And you come to love God and enjoy God. That's the bridge that Jesus is building and the religious leaders are tearing it down. So let's have a look at the text and see how religious traditions can do this. Firstly, Jesus challenges the religious leaders about tradition that replaces the word of God. Tradition that replaces the word of God. How does this happen? Well, when human opinion is elevated above God's word. See how Jesus responds to these religious leaders here. Look at verses 3 to 6. Jesus replied, And why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, Honour your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. But you say, if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is devoted to God, they are not to honour their father or mother with it. Thus you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. See, in those days you could take some property or money and call it devoted to God. And it's a sort of a deferred giving plan, if you like. Uh, You're promising to give it to the Lord when you die. 
But while you're alive, you can still use it and benefit from it. But no one else can have it because it's vowed to the Lord. And so children would use this tradition to avoid caring for their parents in old age. Someone in your family, your parents or grandparents came into financial trouble and they asked you for some help, you could say, no, sorry, this is all dedicated to God. See how this man-made tradition of the Pharisees nullified the clear command of God to honour your father and your mother. And so human opinion is elevated above God's word and God's word is nullified. The washing of hands is not a bad thing. There's no harm in it. It's good hygiene. But the Pharisees put religion into it, saying, this is what God wants of you. This is how you can please God. And Jesus says, you're undermining God's word. You're going beyond what God has written. You're turning mere human rules into God's commands. Now, most of us, to be honest, are quite prone to doing less than what is written. Not taking the word of God seriously enough. Isn't that true? Not obeying really seriously what it means. But there's also a danger, of course, of going beyond what the word of God says. And there's a serious warning, isn't there, in Revelations chapter 22. Not to subtract, nor to add to the word of God. Either way, we marginalise it and elevate human opinion. And the reason Jesus is so strong here on this issue is because it is the word of God that gives life. The purpose of the Bible is not formal compliance. It's not a bunch of rules to obey. It teaches us how we can be reconciled to the God who made us. God doesn't want your formal compliance. He wants your heart. He wants your love. And so he gives us his word that we might find him. And Psalm 19 verse 7 tells us the word revives the soul and makes wise the simple and gives joy to the heart and light to the eyes. It's precious and rewarding to keep. It's the way to life, to real life. The word gives life. And that life is found in Jesus. And here Jesus begins to diagnose the problem that stops us from discovering God, of finding life that's really life. We've elevated human opinion and set aside the word of God. And because we're no longer listening to God, we've lost the way of life. Rather than trusting in Jesus, we trust in our traditions and rules. And the thing is this. Tradition mustn't be at the heart of your faith. See how Jesus criticises these religious leaders here? Look at verses 7 and 9. You hypocrites, he says. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honour me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human. Hypocrites, according to Jesus, are people who have an outward piety, put on a good show, doing all the right things, but inwardly, There's actually no love for God. With their lips, they praise God. But there's nothing inside. It's just tradition. It's just external religious performance. There's no relationship with God. There's no love for Jesus. There's no connection with Jesus. And nothing will deaden your faith more quickly and make your spiritual life cold and unfruitful as pursuing tradition instead of Jesus might start with the best of motives. I want to be obedient to God. I want to please God. 
who has done so much for me. It's a good motive, but it takes a subtle shift, doesn't it? Faith in Jesus gradually is replaced by faith in tradition and it becomes a sickness in your soul. And the danger is you stop singing and your heart gets constricted and you love fewer and fewer people because they don't conform to your traditions, the traditions you've come to love and believe in. And you know, some of the meanest people you meet are hardcore traditionalists. They can't be reasoned with. They're not interested in learning. They're hypercritical, over-demanding, and they're sure they know what's best for everyone else. See how dangerous it is? You've replaced relationship with religion, and it makes you mean like these religious leaders. And so the question for us this morning is how uh, is this? Are you more concerned with traditions than with God's word? We can't see what Jesus sees. I can't see into your heart. You can't see into my heart. But Jesus can and he sees it all. Could it be that some of you think that, you know, my kids are baptised. They'll be okay. I've been a member of, my church, of the church all my life and I've attended, I've given, I've served. God will accept me. It's possible for faithful church attenders to become really fired up, isn't it, about a form of liturgy, you know, the, the confession or the, it must finish with a blessing. And this becomes a test of fellowship with God and it becomes a test for righteousness and it sets aside the gospel as a way of fellowship with God and of righteousness. Ask yourself, am I content with the gospel for fellowship with God? Am I content that my righteousness before God is a gift and not something that I earn or something that I work up? Secondly, Jesus challenges the religious leaders about tradition that takes the focus away from the heart and what's going on inside. See what Jesus says in verses 10, 17 and 20. It's not external things that make us unclean. Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen and understand, what goes into someone's mouth does not defile them. Verse 17. Don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and out of the body? Verse 20. Eating with unwashed hands does not defile them. See what he's saying? It's very earthy, isn't it? Food doesn't make you unclean. It doesn't touch the heart. It goes through the intestine and out of the body. It's not what touches you on the outside that makes you unclean and defiles you, says Jesus. Well, I think of cooking a stew over a sort of a, a, a bush campfire and out, outside the pot may be really dirty and grimy and sooty, but as long as the dirt doesn't get in the pot, the stew will be good to eat, won't it? But what if the pot was clean and shiny on the inside, on the outside, but dirt and soot was on the inside? Which you, would you prefer? Clean outside, dirty inside, bad stew, dirty outside, clean inside, good stew. It's not external things that make us unclean. The environment, our education, and the example we received growing up do have an influence on us. But it's how our hearts respond to these external factors that determines what you do, isn't it? The environment can't make you sin. It simply appeals to what's already in you. Every sin is an inside job. And this is so radical in our culture because our culture thinks the opposite. I don't sin because of external influences. I sin because I have a bad heart. 
The problem is our hearts are unclean. Listen to Jesus in verse 11. What comes out of the mouth, out of their mouth, that is what defiles them. The things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart, and these defile them, for out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what defile a person, but eating with unwashed hands does not defile them. The heart is the centre of our being. It's not just our emotions, but also our will, our minds. It's the self. It's who you really are. That's the biblical definition of the heart. And what comes out of the heart? Well, pretty nasty stuff, according to Jesus. Evil thoughts, evil desires, thoughts of murder, thoughts of adultery, thoughts of sexual immorality and theft and false testimony and slander. The source of the pollution is not external, it's internal. The heart of the problem is the human heart. The prophet Jeremiah told us that, didn't he, in chapter 17? The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. And it's one of the most profound and radical things we need to see and understand. Because we tend to think that we are what we do. Their external actions are what define us. I belong to a church, so I'm a Christian. I do good, so I'm a good person. But Jesus says we do what we are. Our hearts are filled with evil thoughts and attitudes. Our hearts are polluted. That's who we are. That's why we do evil. Do you find that offensive? Jesus pushes past our external behaviour and goes deep into our hearts, doesn't he? He wants us to face reality. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts. Ever had any evil thoughts? And yes, too often those evil thoughts lead to evil attitudes and actions. And let's face it, we all know what it feels like to be unclean. We've all experienced shame, haven't we? Sins of the mind, sins of the tongue, sins of the hands, sins of the sexual organs, sins of your appetite. I don't need to describe them in detail. We all remember things we've thought, said and done that have made us feel unclean. And you know where it all started, don't you? In the heart. We do what we are. Franz Kafka, the writer, says in his diaries, we live in a world now where we don't believe in heaven or hell, we don't believe in sin, yet we still feel that there is something wrong with us. We still have a profound, inescapable sense that if we were examined, we would not pass. If we were inspected, we would be rejected. We have this deep, profound sense that we've got to keep and hide and control what people know about us. It's a challenging comment, isn't it? And Jesus here challenges us, look into your heart. What lives in your heart? Would you be happy for it to be exposed? Every detail, every thought, every attitude, we all need cleansing, don't we? And Jesus makes it quite clear that outward traditions can't cleanse our hearts. Look at verse 12 to 14. Then the disciples came to him and said, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this? He replied, every plant that my heavenly father has not planted will be pulled up by the roots. Leave them. They are blind guides. If the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. And here we have the senior, most respected religious leaders of the day. And Jesus has no qualms in utterly denouncing them. He says they are plants 
that my heavenly Father did not plant. And it reminds us, of course, of the parable a few weeks back of the wheat and the weeds back in chapter 13. And the weeds are destined to be uprooted and thrown into the fire. Why is Jesus so strong here? Because their whole system of religion was corrupt. It was based on external acts of piety. It didn't bring people to God. It actually drew people away from God. And what, how does Jesus save us? He saves us through faith, by grace, through faith, not by works. It's a complete opposite. Outward traditions can't cleanse the heart. And so Jesus said, leave them, they're blind guides. And the third implication of all this is that only Jesus can cleanse us. And this is what has shocked the religious leaders this is why the religious leaders came all the way from Jerusalem. Their whole system of religion was being dismantled by Jesus. And Matthew has already told us in his gospel, hasn't he, in the early chapters, what he thinks of Jesus. Back in chapter 1, he says, Jesus is the Messiah, born of the line of David. He is God with us. And so in chapter 9, we read that Jesus has authority to forgive sins and make us clean. And he says to that paralytic man, uh, he says, your sins are forgiven. And, and then to the crowd, he says, I've come to call not the righteous, but sinners. And at the, at the end of Matthew's gospel, of course, we see how Jesus is able to forgive sins and make us clean before God. How? Well, the old hymn says it well, doesn't it? How we're made clean. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me clean again? Whole again, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Jesus came not just to tell us that we need to be cleansed, but to wash us clean by his own blood spilt on the cross for us on Calvary to pay for our sin. And so the Apostle Peter says in 1 Peter 3, For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring us to God. Jesus is able to wash our hearts so that we can come to God with clean hearts. Do you want a clean heart? Do you want to be free from guilt and shame? Do you want to know how to be clean? Here it is. It's in 1 John 1 verse 8. The ABC of cleaning. Have a look at the verses there. These are wonderful words. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Chapter 2, verse 1. But if we, anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. We know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. Want to be clean? Admit your uncleanness. Confess it. That's the A. B, receive cleansing through the blood of Jesus. Just receive Jesus and his cleansing. And C, keep his commands. In other words, love God and love others. We need to get clean and then live clean. And the order is absolutely crucial, isn't it? You get clean by going to Jesus. And having been cleaned, you can live clean. Aren't you in awe of the gospel? That in his great love for you, God sent Jesus to die on a cross to cleanse your heart so that you can now live clean. As Paul says, live a life worthy of the gospel. Aren't you in awe of the gospel? 
as Christians who've grown up in the church, we can lose that sense of awe, can't we, of the gospel and fail to connect its power to our lives? We get distracted by externals. We get comfortable in our traditions and we wonder why we feel increasingly empty and joyless. What's the solution to this sort of numbness? It's going back to the start. It's returning to a fascination with Christ. That's where, it, that's where we can begin again. As Martin Luther once said, to progress is always to begin again. That's where we start, with eyes wide open to the reality of our failure, with repentance on our lips and in our hearts, with a fresh look again at the gospel, to be amazed again and again at what Jesus has done for us. And this diagram on the screen now shows what happens in the Christian as he or she grows in faith. You know, we become more and more aware of God's holiness and purity and his glory and perfection. And at the same time, we become more and more aware that we still fall far short. And the gap grows. That we don't love God as we should and we don't love others as we should. And that all, although we are clean objectively in Christ, that's a wonderful thing. Subjectively, it's still a battle every day. And notice what bridges that gap between God's holiness and our failures, our sinfulness. Not growing feelings of guilt and resentment and condemnation. No, no. What bridges that gap? It's the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Who saves us? It gets bigger and more precious to us, doesn't it? Because there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And this fills us with increasing joy and greater love for God and power to live clean for him. So may we never lose the wonder and awe of what God has done for us in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me finish with a crucial question then. Do you have a a, a new heart, a clean heart. Nicodemus, one of the Pharisees, came to Jesus one night and said, good teacher, you must be from God because no one can do the sort of miracles that you do if God was not with him. And Jesus cuts right to the heart of the matter and says to him, you know what, Nicodemus? You must be born again. You need a new heart, a clean heart. And Nicodemus says, well, how can I go back into my mother's womb? And Jesus says to him, well, we're not talking about physical birth, Nicodemus. We're talking about spiritual birth. Come on, you ought to know this as religious leader. And then he tells him that I will be lifted up on a cross to atone for sin. Run from self-justification. Run from external piety as a way to God. Repent and believe in me. Ask the Holy Spirit to regenerate your heart with his power and wash you clean of all your sin. That's the way to a new heart and a new life. Has that happened to you? If it has, and you do have a new heart, let the wonder of what God has done for you in Christ fill your heart with joy and praise. Listen to what Bishop J.C. Ryle says in his commentary. How thankful we ought to be for the gospel. That gospel contains a complete provision for all the wants of our poor, defiled natures. The blood of Christ can cleanse us from all our sins. The Holy Spirit can change even our sinful hearts and keep them clean when changed. The man who does not glory in the gospel can surely know little of the plague that is within him. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, thank you for your word to us today and for our Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you that through the cross, he not only makes us clean, but reconciles us to you so that we can call you our Father. Help us never to rely on tradition, to be so bound up in religious practices we set our hearts on them, rather than on your wonderful grace. Empower us with your spirit to live clean lives that honour you as we enjoy all you are for us in Christ. We pray it in his name. Amen.